Hello and welcome to For the Love of Truth. This is episode 219. In this episode, I'm delighted that we have Tony Royal back on the show. We first spoke to Tony last week in episode 216, and just to refresh your memory, he was an airline pilot who had a heart attack. He had a stent fitted and went on to statins and the other recommended drugs, and his health declined rapidly. He then decided to look further into things and take charge of his own health, and now he is in better shape than he has ever been in his entire life and competes in Ironman competitions. In this episode, we take a deeper look at diets in general and why many nutritionists and the government's recommended diet is actually very poor and can be quite damaging for you. We discuss global cooling versus global warming, and we look at the inversion of knowledge and truth about carbon dioxide. We also touch on pollution. Later, we discuss spin and misdirection and who influences the influencers. In other words, there is tremendous vested interests and various interest groups that are sat behind the organizations that are apparently telling governments how to run and making various decisions at various levels. We also touch on money, on currency, which is not a store of wealth, and discuss the universal basic income. As ever, it was a really engaging conversation with Tony, and I suspect that he and I could have chatted for hours. We decided to call it a close at about the one and a half hour mark, and I have no doubt that Tony will be back on the show again soon. So in the meantime, I just wanted to thank you for all your support, tell you that you guys are amazing, and I encourage you to get out and have wonderful conversations with people that you know and people that you don't currently know, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Good to see you again, buddy. Thanks for coming back on the show, and I'm particularly excited about some of the subjects we're going to talk about today, and I suspect there'll be a few surprises as well. Well, I hope so. I hope some uh, some people got something out of the last discussion we had, and uh, maybe the same for today. I believe they did, yeah. So we, we, we were going to talk some more about the kind of uh, mechanics of diet, weren't we? Yeah, obviously there's only so much we could cover last time, and uh, we, we probably left a few gaps in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, perhaps one important gap I missed out really was the fact that I haven't taken any drugs really for the last five years. And I think that's that's fairly important. If you can wean yourself off these disturbances to your biochemistry, I'm mm-hmm. convinced that really feeds into your general health. Mm-hmm. And because I think I'm eating the right type of diet now, and it's not a one a one thing suits all type diet. There are modifications, and people can thrive on various types of regimes. Yeah. But for me, this seems to have sorted out my body in a way that I don't seem to get. Uh, the things I used to get, such as headaches. I used to get a headache every week. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had a headache for five years. I haven't taken a paracetamol or aspirin, anything like that. Mm -hmm. But for this extraordinary length of time, I haven't caught a head cold for that long. Now, people say, oh, it's just luck. Well, there may (laughs) be some luck in there, but not. it just doesn't make any sense. I've never experienced a period that long without any problems like that. And so there must be something to my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I have changed my lifestyle in certain ways. And one of the the ways is the diet yeah um and so that's a, a, an important point to make first of all but in terms of the mechanics of the diet mm-hmm. um i think there's a, a perception that carbohydrates are an essential part of a diet well i certainly believe that to be true years ago Yes, and I think that perception is still out there, and it's still prevalent within the medical profession and the nutritionists and the dietitians, etc. Yeah, but I think it's very important that people understand that, that carbohydrates. There's nothing 
in terms of the carbohydrate content that the body requires that it can't synthesize within itself from other substances. Mm -hmm. And so the bottom line is when you're consuming carbohydrates, you're not having to consume them for the carbohydrate content. You might want to consume them for other reasons, mm -hmm. such as a bit of variety to your diet, or they contain minerals and vitamins, etc. Um, and some people get, need a bit of fiber, for example, to help with their digestion. Mm -hmm. So there are other reasons to, con to consume carbohydrates, mm -hmm. but the carbohydrate itself is not an essential thing that the body needs to consume from outside. It can okay. sort itself out. However, if you if you go into the fats and the protein side of things, yeah. there are parts of those macronutrients that cannot be synthesized within the body. And so you do need to consume protein to get certain amino acids. There are about 20 or so amino acids and about eight of them, seven or eight of them, we can't synthesize. Mm -hmm. And so we must consume them. And they come generally through things like meat, meat and uh, lentils, things like that. But anything that's got protein in will have some of these exogenous amino acids that we need to consume mm -hmm. and fats. There are certain fats that the body just can't actually make. It can make most fats, but not a few of them. And okay. so we need to consume the omega-6, omega-3 type fats because we can't make them. And so the only essential things that we need are fats and proteins, vit vitamins, minerals, obviously mm -hmm. water <clears throat> and maybe fiber if, if you feel that way inclined. Mm -hmm. But we don't need carbohydrates. So that's the first thing I'd like to make uh, as a point. Okay. And because I think that insulin plays a part in the inflammatory mechanisms within the body, yeah. my, my goal throughout all of my journey really was to reduce inflammation in any way I could. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so in terms of the diet, I wanted to consume as few carbohydrates, yeah. particularly the complex carbohydrates or the raw, raw sugar type stuff. Mm -hmm as I could, because I knew that that would reduce the insulin load on my body and hopefully reduce the inflammatory consequences of consuming carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I ended up on this ketogenic diet, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> now, the thing with diets, is, I think, is that they've got to be sustainable. I mean, it's easy to lose weight if that's your issue. Mm -hmm. You've got to lose weight, just stop eating. It's as simple as that. Mm -hmm. You're not consuming calories, you're not going to put weight on you're going to lose it but that's not sustainable it's not enjoyable it's no. not practical no. and so you need to find something that that has those qualities mm -hmm. and i think a lot of diets that are out there that people use they, they rely on things like calorie restriction mm -hmm. and if you're still consuming carbohydrates if you calorie restrict you end up being hungry yeah and that makes life miserable yeah is that why and, the first you, three letters of diet spell die <laughs> i never thought of that yeah that's probably true um but there there are also long-term impacts if you if you go down the wrong route with diet yeah you can you can start messing around with with your sort of basal energy requirement that the body needs a certain amount of energy to function mm -hmm. and if you keep starving it in a certain way it will slowly reduce how much background energy it needs to function mm -hmm. And so this is why we see these diets where people, they go on the, the regime, they lose the weight, but with, if you go to the same number of months afterwards, mm -hmm. they're, they're back where they started. Or worse. Or worse. Yeah. And you speak to lots of people who go through this, and they've mm -hmm. been going through it all their life on this cyclical journey of yeah. losing weight, putting weight back on. Yeah. And it's because they're not, they're not teaching their body 
how to deal with the energy that they're putting into it. And the energy is coming in in the wrong form and it's just not sustainable. And all of the time, their basal energy requirement is dropping and dropping and dropping. Mm -hmm. So they don't actually need to consume as much as they go through this journey as they did at the start of it. Mm -hmm. And that's why people struggle with weight. I I don't like to focus on weight, but it's always one of the key manifestations Mm -hmm. of indications that you're eating the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I tend to focus on health as the driver when I talk to people about their diets. It needs to be healthy so your body's in a healthy state. And if it's in a healthy state, it will generally be the right weight. Mm-hmm. So I like to reverse the way I look at that, that yeah. problem. So, so the weight becomes an effect rather than the focus. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Weight is an effect rather than a, a goal. And I, yeah. I try to tell people don't focus on the scales all the time because yeah. it, it doesn't help. Your, your mental state, mm-hmm. if you're looking at a scales and, the, and your weight can vary for all sorts of reasons, particularly if you're retaining fluid. So as, as the, particularly with, uh, with ladies, if, if, if their menstrual cycle, for example, is in a certain phase, mm-hmm. it will encourage their body sometimes to hold on to more fluids mm-hmm. or hold on to more calories. Mm-hmm. And, and so their, their scale might not see this linear de- decay in the weight, mm-hmm. but it, so if they jump on the scales and they see that the weight's gone up in one week, they lose heart. Mm-hmm. And so I try, I try to discourage the use of scales on a regular basis anyway. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want a datum at the start and maybe a datum occasionally, but yeah. But, but otherwise, that's not, not a good idea in my, my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing about many other diets, I think, is if, you're, if your content includes carbohydrates, you're sort of feeding the addiction because most of us are addicted to carbohydrates. Yes. We, we crave these things. We won't admit that, but we do. We all know how lovely a donut is. We just, oh, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like an alcoholic addiction or a smoking addiction. It's the same type of thing, but it's mm-hmm. carbohydrates. And breaking that addiction is very, very difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to help break it, you need to have a diet which is quite interesting. It's, in t- it's tasty and takes your mind off those other cravings and the more you go into a ketogenic regime the more your body learns um to to sort of avoid the carbohydrates and treat them very much as treats Mm -hmm. rather than staples and so when i look at the the sort of systems view on diet and i'm not going to tire everybody's uh, tire everybody with the same brush because there are some very good nutritionists and dietitians out there who who have looked at this but the, the mainstream thrust is that carbohydrates have to be part of mm-hmm. any diet. Yeah. And this is the key problem we've got with people taking advice from the mainstream system rather than looking at the information that's available out there yeah. themselves mm-hmm. and trying out other, other things. Um, and even people within the system who know this are constrained by the system mm-hmm. to give the wrong advice. I know lots of people out there in hospitals and and they come to me and they say, well, yeah, I know you're right, Tony, but we're not allowed to say that to mm-hmm. the people. Yeah. And, and that, that's a key problem because a lot of people are constrained in what they can say and do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is why sometimes people need to take a bit more responsibility and, and do the research themselves. And then they've got this sort of biased influence that's driven by a system. Yeah. Um, and so... What I did with the the ketogenic diet was 
phase out carbohydrate content of the diet and phase in more fats. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more you do this, the, the better state the body gets in, in, in terms of dealing with the energy. Mm-hmm. And so I look at the body very much as an engineer rather than as a, a biochemist or a doctor, a medical mm-hmm. doctor. And I think this sort of holistic uh, step back view of the body is very useful because mm-hmm. if you just think of it as an energy machine mm-hmm. you need to grasp how the body is dealing with the energy that you're putting into it yeah so you're thinking more end- in terms of physics aren't you yes certainly more engineering physics yeah. than biochemistry yeah. And, chemistry. yeah and and so you you soon realize that what you put in, the form of what you put in is, is very, very important mm-hmm. in terms of how the body deals with the energy of that thing. Yeah. And we, we've got really, um, we've got focused on calories and calories are really a thing for the lab Yeah. where you burn something, you find out how much energy it's got in it. Obviously yeah. the energy is contained in the molecular bonds mm-hmm. and the process of digestion is all about breaking these bonds and making other ones mm-hmm. and releasing the energy as you break the bonds. Well, obviously, it depends what you've put in as to what the body will do with it. Yes. So it's no good just saying it's got X calories, and it doesn't matter if those X calories comes as carbs or fats or proteins. It does matter yeah. which form they're in and what the balance is and when you're eating them. Because you can eat a block of wood, which has got a number of calories, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't it wouldn't put weight on you because it would go straight through you because the body wouldn't want it. Wouldn't I can think that it. would give you splinters where you didn't want yeah. them as well. <laughs> Internal <laughs> splinters, yeah. <laughs> But it's still got a calorific value. Yes. And so if you if you put 100 grams of fat into your body, it's going to have a very different impact on the energy. Yes. As opposed to, to the say, equivalent amount of calories in, in carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. And when when your body um, ingests carbohydrates, and all carbohydrates are sugar, it, eventually in the system, it, it, any carbohydrate will turn to glucose eventually in, in your blood. And as the as the glucose rises in the bloodstream, the body has to get rid of it. It can't keep it at high levels because mm-hmm. that becomes toxic and dangerous. And so it will drive the, the glucose out of the blood into the cells. Mm-hmm. But it's only really got two options. It can either do that, or if, if the cells don't need it for energy, it will turn it into fat and store it. Mm-hmm. And so most people who've got a, a weight problem with fat, that fat has not come from fat generally. It's come from excess carbohydrates that have been turned from glucose into fat and stored for another day mm-hmm. um if you're if you're consuming fats however the body's got a bit more flexibility into what it can do with fat mm-hmm. than what it can do with glucose mm-hmm. and so um when you move away from the the sort of overload of glucose through your diet mm-hmm. to a, to a, an overload of fat instead mm-hmm then the body's got a bit more flexibility in how it deals with the fat. Mm-hmm. Now, the, rema- the main sort of function of, of all this eating is to provide energy. Yep. Um, and the, the, the energy sort of is provided in the body itself mm-hmm. by either glucose or it can burn fats, fatty acids, mm-hmm. or it can burn things called ketones, mm-hmm. um, lactate as well. So, but, but, these are the sort of three main fuel sources mm-hmm. for the body to function. 
and it will always prioritize glucose because it's very easy for it to metabolize glucose and, mm-hmm. and, and make energy from it. So whenever there's excess glucose, it will prioritize that. But if you reduce the amount of glucose that's available, then it will turn to fatty acids and it will turn to ketones. Mm-hmm. And it's the lack of any insulin in the body that will trigger the liver to say, okay, we're a bit short on glucose now. I'm going to start making some of these ketones, which can be used as fuel instead, because mm-hmm. I haven't got any carbohydrate coming through my mouth, so I'm going to make it from inside the glucose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the liver that will then start making these ketone bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, the benefit of ketones is that they're water-soluble, they travel through the blood very easily, and they can also cross the blood-brain barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's quite important, because the brain does need glucose to function Mm-hmm. But but the whole functionality of the brain doesn't have to be fueled by glucose. Mm-hmm. And the more you can switch the fueling of the brain towards ketones as an energy source, mm-hmm. the 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 more clarity you you think with. I found a massive improvement in my clarity of thought when I was fat adapted. I can't describe how. I, I was razor sharp in the way I could think. I don't know if you found that I, when when I started intermittent fasting. Absolutely. I found that certainly the first couple of days, it was when I was about 18 or 20 hours in, I noticed that my mind was getting sharper and sharper. And it's it's stayed consistent now because I fast every day and I've done for more than a year. But yeah, yeah. It, it, it is remarkable how much clarity and it just, it, for me, it came on like a wave. It's like someone turned a switch on and went, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. It is, it is remarkable. And the, and although the science is a bit vague, I don't think we fully understand why this is, but but it's known that when you're burning ketones as fuel, you get fewer reactive oxygen species, few free, fewer free radicals. Yeah. It's like having a cleaner burning fuel yes. than glucose. Yeah. And in your brain, obviously, if it's, if, it's, if it's burning clean fuel, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. And I don't want to stray too much into, into disease, but things like migraine, dementia, Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. epilepsy, all of these things are positively impacted by a ketogenic diet, I'm absolutely convinced. Yeah. And there is some mechanism because of this clean burning mm-hmm. as to why that is the case. Mm-hmm. And things like epilepsy, that's been treated with ketogenic regimes for a long, long time, for mm-hmm. many decades. So it's a known way of treating these mm-hmm. um, conditions. And I've worked with people one-to-one who've had sort of migraine problems for their whole life, and they've all pretty much disappeared as yeah. soon as they moved to a ketogenic regime. And so there's definitely something in this, but yeah. the mainstream narrative is still to go down the, the drug route to treat these types of things. Yeah. And maybe one thing some people might take away from this is that if you do have one of these issues yourself or with a friend or a family member, I think it's always worth considering the ketogenic mm-hmm. regime yeah. as a way of possibly making these issues of the brain better. Yeah. And I'd certainly encourage anybody who's got dementia, Alzheimer's, uh, migraine, epilepsy type things to look down this avenue yeah. to see if it might help. Yeah, I, I think that's really tremendously good advice, yeah. Um, and aside from the sort of brain side of things, which I found fas- fascinating that I could think, in, you know, I just couldn't believe how I was feeling. Hmm. You also get a raise in your general energy levels you feel more alive yep. when you when you wake up you don't want to turn over and go back to sleep you just want to get out of bed and do stuff it's you, your whole energy is lifted yeah. because you're in this 
ketogenic state. It's not only that, Tony, your sleep's better as well. Yes. So you have a better quality of sleep yeah. and then you have a better quality of life when you're, yeah. when you're awake. Yeah. That's a, a key thing. Um, now, a lot of people ask me about the, the athletic side of things. How do you cope? Because if you if you talk to most athletes who do particularly endurance events, they're, they're, they're stuffing carbohydrates continually through their events. Yeah. And look, I don't have to do that because my body's adapted to burn fat yeah. more efficiently. I can chug along as long as I don't over overdo the energy yep. requirement. Yep. So if I'm on the bike, for example, if I'm going to hit a, a steep hill for an extended time, mm -hmm. that will put demands on my body which can't be met by the fat oxidation it, it can't turn the fat and yeah. produce the ketones quickly enough to supply the fuel so then it turns to to carbohydrates yeah. and carbohydrates they're either in the blood as glucose or they're stored as a substance called glycogen in the muscles yeah and in the liver and so the liver will start dumping glycogen if you if you reach one of these zones of high demand mm -hmm. and the muscles will start dumping glycogen from their internal stores mm -hmm. And so the whole thing for me in, in an endurance event is trying to preserve my glycogen stores mm -hmm. and preserve the stores in the liver of glycogen mm -hmm. so that I can go further uh, and longer mm -hmm. for those sort of supplies. And this is critical for things like an Ironman where you've done this massive bike ride and you still need some of that glycogen and stuff to be able to cope with the run at the end. Yes. Um, and so... This is why I think fat, as a fat-adapted athlete, mm -hmm. you could have a quite a big advantage because the, the key thing about people who are stuffing carbs down all the time is if your stomach decides it does had enough sugar, and it does often, you get a lot of athletes that struggle with uh, feeling sick, nauseous, mm -hmm. and their body, the, the stomach just shuts down, so I've had enough of this sugary stuff. Mm -hmm. As soon as you can't take that stuff in, if that's what your yep. body's relying upon, yep. you've had it. If you've you're got in trouble, to stop. Yeah. 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 Whereas with the fat burning, I've got, I don't know, 50, 60,000 calories worth of fat hanging around my middle. Mm -hmm. And my body will just burn that quite happily yeah. without the requirement for anything through the stomach. Yeah. And so if I'm in that state, I just have to slow down a bit. Yes. And I can keep going, Yeah. which I think would be quite a big advantage. I, it's fact. an interesting thing you put that because I, it's, it, it's not really relevant to health. But I keep saying to people, slow down, slow down, because this is a marathon. It's not a fucking sprint. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's interesting that, yeah. you, you as you said if you throttle back a bit it's the same in a car you can't you can't run a car flat out all the time because you'll break it but if you just it's like in i forget what it is in my car but the difference in fuel economy between 75 miles an hour and 65 is quite substantial yeah it's not and linear yet, no and yet yeah. time wise it, it makes on a typical hour trip it makes i don't know a few minutes difference at the end it's nothing yeah, yeah. And it'll be the same in a race. Yeah. Um, maybe I, I just, can I just touch on ketoacidosis? Because I Please, find this yeah. is a barrier. Yeah. I think uh, many of the doctors I speak to, as soon as I start talking about ketogenic diets, they, they mention ketoacidosis. Mm -hmm. And be in no doubt that ketoacidosis is a very serious condition. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you are actually drifting towards that condition, you really need to be in hospital. Mm -hmm. So let's make no bones about that. But there's a big difference between ketoacidosis, um, which is is generally confined to people like type 1 diabetics who don't have a means of producing insulin, mm -hmm. or serious type 2 diabetics who may be on some sort of sodium glucose 
inhibitors. So they're mm-hmm. taking a certain drug which puts them in the category of potential candidates to get ketoacidosis. Yeah. Um, but but that should not be confused with nutritional ketosis, mm-hmm. which is a natural, perfectly natural state for the body to be in yeah. when it's not eating. So in a starvation mode, for example, mm-hmm. that would be the natural default state for the body. And it's a perfectly healthy, normal state. The body's designed to be in that state. Yes. And what it does in that state is it says, okay, we haven't got any glucose coming in, so we're going to have to make glucose. So the liver starts churning out glucose in a process called gluconeogenesis, and it supplies enough glucose to keep the the part of the brain that needs to be kept going with glucose and Mm -hmm. red blood cells, etc. But the rest of the cells of the body can be provided energy by the the ketogenic mechanism, so the liver starts to generate these ketones. Mm -hmm. Now, when you start your ketogenic journey your body's not very efficient at producing ketones so it'll produce a ketone called uh, acetoacetate which is the precursor of the other two ketones which are acetone and beta hydroxybutyrate all long names but they're basically just types of fuel now acetone that that's uh, the sort of pear drop smell that you get and the body can't use acetone so it'll excrete that through the breath mm-hmm. so as acetoacetate breaks down into acetone it it will get rid of the acetone through the breath and that's one of the first signs that you're going into ketosis might be that you notice the smell of pear drops on your breath Mm -hmm. and that's the body excreting the stuff that it doesn't need Mm -hmm. but it can use beta hydroxybutyrate this is its preferred source of energy Mm -hmm. and the, the way that acetoacetate converts to beta hydroxybutyrate gets more and more efficient the longer into this journey that you go. Mm-hmm. And I think it took me about five or six months to get into this state where my body was really efficient at doing that. Mm-hmm. Because acetoacetate, again, is not something the body prefers to use the fuel. It tends to excrete it, and but through the urine rather than the breath. Mm-hmm. And this is how these strips work that you can get. You, you'll probably know yes. about the yeah. strips that you test your urine with. Well, that's because they're detecting acetoacetate as a, as a proxy or beta-hydroxybutyrate to tell you that you've got this fuel available to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you're in nutritional ketosis, your body has these ketones Mm -hmm. in some balance in your body. Most of it will be Mm beta-hydroxybutyrate, and that's what the body will be using as an alternative input to the what what we call the Krebs cycle or citric acid cycle. So Mm -hmm. this is the thing that's generating the currency of energy in the body, which is mm-hmm. adenosine triphosphate, ATP. Mm-hmm. And, that, and so that's the, the sort of ketone that we're using primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more adapted you get and the fewer carbs you're eating, the higher the levels of ketones will be in your blood. Mm-hmm. And you can get monitors, which will tell you, you can, you know, finger prick tests. These are by far the more accurate tests rather mm-hmm. than the breath monitors or the, the urine strips. If you take a, a finger prick of your blood, you can monitor then what your level of ketones is. Mm-hmm. And you can also get dual monitors, which will tell you how much your glucose level is as well. Mm-hmm. So I like to see a fairly low level of glucose, about 4.2 maybe on me, and um, varying levels of beta-hydroxybutyrate, which if I'm in a fairly deep ketosis, might be up to, say, 4 or 5 on the scale. Yeah, This is millimoles per litre. Mm-hmm. but it's within what I would call the normal nutritional sort of regime. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've purposely put myself into that state mm-hmm. uh, and that's a natural state to be in. And that's not something to be worried about. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the, the reason that type 1 diabetics may, may suffer a risk of going further into ketosis mm-hmm. and into ketoacidosis, and this is when the, the blood gets very acidic, mm-hmm. is that insulin also controls ketones. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a point at which the, the ketone production is, is mod, modulated by the insulin. Mm-hmm. in the body yeah and if you haven't got a mechanism of producing insulin mm-hmm. that means your mechanism of controlling ketones as well as glucose is compromised mm-hmm. and so this is why people like type 1 diabetics have got to be aware of this condition and when i work with type 1 diabetics i always stress that this is something you need to understand mm-hmm. so that when you're looking at your readings mm-hmm. you, you can te- you can detect you'll feel it anyway i would imagine but you need to be able to know yeah. the signs of what could happen. Mm-hmm. It tends not to, um, but you know you just need to be aware of that. So I thought I'd mention that subject. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that that's really really interesting, and it's it's funny you mention acetone because I I add that to the fuel in the car to make it more efficient because <laughs> it's an accelerant to make the fuel burn better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it doesn't work so well in the in the human body. So no, no, I, I wouldn't go anywhere near it. I certainly wouldn't encourage people to. You know, you've got to be very careful with that stuff, even inhaling it. But it's, yeah, um... it, of course, when you when you link this to weight loss, um, when you think about the body's actually excreting calories mm-hmm. effectively when yeah. it's getting rid of the acetone and the acetone, it, it's it's actually excreting these calories that you've put in. Now you you won't get that with glucose. The body doesn't excrete glucose through the urine. If, if you get glucose in your urine, you need to see a doctor. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a natural thing. Whereas you are losing calories through this sort of waste thing, and we often hear this calorie in, calorie out mantra, yeah. and that's just complete. It's nonsense. I mean, the laws of thermodynamics are being adhered to, but the, the calorie in, calorie out thing just doesn't work because the waste calories are, are not often considered, mm-hmm. and you do get a lot of this wastage. Although the body does become more efficient. Mm-hmm as you go further down the journey because it doesn't want to waste energy if it can help it. Yeah. Well, I know when I, um, when I did, when I started the intermittent fasting over a year ago now, I lost, uh, nearly 20 pounds in weight very quickly and I wasn't particularly heavy, but it was interesting yeah. because my energy levels went through the roof at the same time. Even though I was, I actually, what I do now is I, I eat more, but in a much tighter window. Otherwise, I still would lose some more weight, and I'm quite happy being less than the weight I was when I was 18. Yeah, yeah, the, the weight thing is is amazing. I, the, the body's clever as well. It gets rid of the visceral fat first. Yes. So the, the nasty fat that's around your organs, which is the dangerous fat, that dissolves first. And I get a lot of people say, well, my, I've still got this fat hanging around my middle. What's got? I've lost some weight, but I, I say, yeah, that's because the body's really clever. It's taken the stuff around your heart and your liver and your kidneys. Yeah dissolve that away and now it'll start working on the stuff around your middle the stuff around your middle is not that dangerous compared to the other stuff yes we'll be back after a quick break welcome to the alchemy of natural healing i'm your host laurel dewey true healing is an alchemical process meaning it must transform you on all levels body mind and spirit what affects one affects all three True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started.
That's a very interesting point you make because I think a lot of people assume that a lot of the fat around the outside is the problem, and it's absolutely not. It's it's what, as you said, it's what's buried inside you're not aware of that's causing the issue. And also yeah. fat is used to store toxins. So yes. as you start to dissolve that, you will naturally start to remove the toxins that are stored in and around your organs. Yeah, that, that is a very important aspect mm. of this whole thing is that, that yeah, your bad habits are stored around your middle in your fat. <laughs> yeah, you detoxify as you get rid of the, that, yeah. that. The cells themselves don't disappear. I mean, the, the adipose fat cells are still there. They're yeah. just empty, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, and of course, we do need fat because if we do get into a starvation-type environment, we do need to have a source of fuel. Yeah. And that's why the mechanism was there. It's there to give us a fuel source so that we could run around and catch the, the food that we needed to catch. Yeah. Well, it makes you realize just how magnificent the, the outfit that we inhabit to have this life experience is. It's incredibly well put together. And if you just take some time to familiarize yourself with how it works and what you need to do nutritionally to support it, all of a sudden your experience of life becomes very different because you're very clear in your head. You've got more energy. You've got more stamina. Everything's functioning as it should. You're no longer sick. It, it really is yeah. amazing what happens, and it happens quickly. Yeah, and all that feeds, of course, into your mental health. Yes. If you're experiencing that physical good health, yes, feel better, Yeah. and you feel more able to take things on, and you're happy, and yeah. all of those positive emotions are flooding your body, yeah. which helps your endocrine system feed into the physical health as well. Yeah, and it's a loop. Yeah, it's a loop, and too many people are in the opposite loop. Yeah. Too many people are in the loop where they're physically disabled in some way through weight or through disease, yeah. and that is depressing them, and that's giving negative energy and negative yeah. um, hormonal in, impact, and that feeds a negative thing into the physical body, yeah. and it's breaking that spiral and turning it up the other way. It's funny you say spiral. I was going to say it is a spiral. You're either spiraling down or you're spiraling up. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I see a lot of people spiraling down for all sorts of reasons. Yes, I'd agree with that. And we need we need to turn it around somehow, and hopefully these sorts of discussions may help one or two people. Well, I, I think they will, Tony, because it, it's if you and one of the reasons I really wanted to focus on health, and it's why I'm grateful for these discussions I'm having with you and and the other people as well, is that it's it's really encouraging people that if you get your health right, so many other things get right. I'm speaking to several people. I, I help. I kind of give them counselling, if you will, or consultancy rather. And the very first thing I always focus on is what are you drinking? What are you eating? And invariably, we're finding all sorts of issues in those areas. And when you start to put that right, I was speaking to someone uh, the other day about it. And I said, have you noticed how much you're laughing now compared to when we first started talking? And that's yeah. a sign to me that things are starting to function properly. They're feeling better. Everything's starting to function as it should. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do the same when I, I work a lot one-to-one -one and you get amazing results very quickly. Yeah. And, that, and that is one of the questions I always focus on. There's, there's obviously multiple inputs normally to people's problems. Yeah. But, but that is a key thing. If you get that right, it's one of these things that will drive a positive spiral. You're absolutely right. And, and it's, it's phenomenal. And it's, it's, not, it's not complex. You know, no. it's, it's eat more fats and proteins, cut the carbs and the sugars out, cut the alcohol out, cut the coffee out. Drink good, clean water, get plenty of fresh air, you know, make sure. And you, you, you start to build this map. And then what I'm always trying to do with, with everyone is say, look, work out your your roadmap of, of how things work and how things interact. The guy I was speaking to before, Alex, and we're going to do an interview next week with him. He kept a journal of everything and how things worked, what he ate, what happened to him. So he has this roadmap now 
of how to conduct himself so that physically he's in really good shape all the time and he feels great. And and people can do that for themselves, but they're not encouraged to because the, you know you've got to have this drink, that drink. No, just just sort it all out and simplify it all. Yeah, and I I think if we can just get people to actually believe in themselves and their abilities, then we we're halfway there. Yes, and just to start with a blank piece of paper, you need to get rid really of your preconceptions because I unfortunately most of them they certainly were for me anyway until mm. I woke that my preconceptions were all completely wrong. And once you realise that and start. Anything that's really important to your your well-being, you really need to take ownership of that thing yeah. and just put away everything you've been taught before. Some of it might be right, but a lot of it isn't. Mm-hmm. Just start with a blank piece of paper and build it up from scratch and try not to use these mainstream influences that are just yeah. so corrupt now. They've got to such a level yeah. where they are the corrupting influence. So in the field of, of dietary health, there's so much corruption in the national nutritional guidelines across the world. Mm. They just become infested with agenda-driven interests, mm-hmm. vested interests. And these people run these institutions mm-hmm. for all the wrong reasons. And that's the mechanism which drives the general ill health we see out in society these yeah. days, which is going completely the wrong way. If you think of how our medical technology, etc., is gone one way yeah their health has gone completely the other we've never been so sick as a society physically yeah. and mentally yeah and because these things that are giving us the guidance are giving us the wrong guidance it's not rocket science you just need to look out and see for yourself yeah the evidence is there that it's wrong and people say oh you can't do a ketogenic diet we haven't got enough data on that i said well look at the data you've got on the diet that you're recommending because everybody does take <laughs> notice there's your evidence there's your trial look at the yeah. state of the nation I, and now I, look at the state of people like you and I who are doing something different. Yeah. Well, our health is not reflected in the general population. No, nope. no. Nope. I haven't had so much as a pill in 30 years, anything. And I, I just won't do it because I know that anything that goes wrong, I've had a hand in it, indirectly or directly, and I'll figure it out and I'll sort it. Yeah. And in the, in the end, you, you get the thing so finely tuned that you, you, you kind of, I know, I certainly notice, think, oh, I feel like I'm heading that way a bit. So you just nudge yourself back and that's it. But it's, it's a nothing of an event. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you want to talk about opinion. I think this is an important thing. What I've discovered over the last few years is that when I talk to people about particular subjects that are really critical yeah. to, to their health or their well-being, mm-hmm. is that they've got opinions, but they don't realize they're not actually their opinions. Tony, this is incredible because I was having this discussion just a few minutes back before you came on. Really? And I said that what, what I do, and I'll, I'll just say a little bit, then you can carry it forwards if you would. I, I notice in my own thinking, if I have a big resistance to a, a, a maybe a subject, but a real strong, or oh, that's not right, I realize now I'm probably up against some kind of programming at some level that I need to break through and push aside so I can have an open-minded yeah. consideration of it. Yes. Uh, and And this is what's happening. Because when I start to ask people, deeper questions about this opinion they've got yes then they start to realize that it's come from yeah. not from them yep and you know you take any any topic you take climate for example this is a random example mm-hmm. if you i come i came across somebody the other day who ch- changed their diet because of methane i said okay you, you got a really strong opinion obviously if you've gone as far as changing your diet mm-hmm. how much methane do you think is in the atmosphere then they oh i don't i don't know so how much methane do you want to be in the atmosphere? I don't know. 
well, how does methane work in this thing that you think is a problem? I don't know. So why are you changing your diet then? You don't know the fundamental things yeah. about the topic of methane and climate. Yes. And yet you're prepared. Somebody's convinced you to change your way of living yes. detrimentally, in my opinion, yeah. because you've bought into this narrative. Yeah. I said, you want to step back and look at why you think the way you do. Who's taught you this? Yeah. And it'll be... Well, they watched a documentary by David Attenborough or something, or they watched the BBC or they read an article. And this is the sole source yeah. of their opinion and belief. They've yeah. never sat down and looked at the data, yeah. looked at the science, and then made a rational decision. I've got no problem with people giving up if they want to do that, but, yeah. but they're not doing it because they've come to a rational, right. independent decision. They're doing it because they've been programmed to yeah. think that that is the truth. Yeah, that's right. And that, that that is so prevalent right now, which is why I did that video a while back about asking questions. If people start to ask questions, I'm asking questions of myself and everyone all the time. And that's how you get through all this stuff. You know, be it anyone, you're absolutely right. When you ask a question, why do you believe that? What's behind that? You obviously have a real strong feeling about that. Can I ask you why that is? You get a blank with a lot of people. And then that's a real revelation for them. So you're going to say, why do I think that? And that's a great place to take someone. Yeah. I mean, I was attacked the other day in, in, a, in a coffee shop because I wasn't where I don't wear a mask. Hmm. And he had a, this guy had a real go at me. Why, that, why are you wearing a mask? That's really irresponsible. So, and I said, well, uh, why are you wearing one? And he sort of, he looked a bit... And I said, what did you think of the, the Vietnamese study, for example, which is probably the best randomized control trial we've got, mm. that, that suggested that wearing cloth mask is very detrimental to your health. What do you think of that study? And he said, well, all right, I don't think about that study. I said, well, what do you think about the recent study from Denmark then, the, one that, the most recent information we've got? Oh, I'm, I don't know anything about that. I said, well, have you, have you read any randomized control trial studies about masks? No. I said, well, why are you wearing one then? And he sort of, he just sort of, he, he was completely taken aback. And I said, I'll tell you why you're wearing it. I said, because some bloke in a suit in Westminster stood up and told you to wear it. That's why you've got this opinion that I need to wear a mask. If he told you to put your hand in a fire, you wouldn't do it. And you wouldn't do it because you know the science behind putting your hand in the fire. Mm -hmm. You know that that will be detrimental to your hand if you put it in the fire. Mm -hmm. So you would question that person telling you to put your hand in the fire. Mm -hmm. You haven't questioned this person telling you to wear a mask because you just bought into this programming narrative mm -hmm. and, and joined the consensus without actually having any knowledge about the mm -hmm. science and data behind masks. I love the way you quite, put that. Yeah. And he looked at himself and I said, look, at you. he had a big bushy beard. And I said, look at yourself in the mirror. Do you really think that cloth mask is doing any good to anybody other than affecting your breathing? Yeah, you know, and and he went away, and I think he was. I gave him something to think about. Yeah, um, and this is the way that people need to look at these things, which are really fundamentally affecting their health now. Absolutely, um, mental health, particularly as well as their physical health. Mm. It's you know, and and so I I really do encourage people who've got a really strong opinion. Yeah, to to question yeah. is that your opinion? Yeah, and if so, that's fine. But have you arrived at it through the right means? Yeah, well, I'd, I'd go one further than that as well and say that if you understand the basic principles behind theft, if you're keeping hold of something that doesn't belong to you because it's someone else's, you should give it back. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty good. Um, yeah, where, where do you want to go next? Um, I, I, I really don't mind. Wherever you think's important. Um. 
And and by the way, if you want to take it into a topic that we think might not be suitable, say for YouTube, I can split the video if you want. It's not a problem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think one thing I wanted to talk about was the um, the sort of the the corruption that exists in the in the sort of bodies that that regulate much of what's going on now and in general before yes, perfect recent events. Yeah. The, the sort of revolving door issue, yeah. if you like. Yeah. And so if we stick with this topic of health, yeah. everybody knows that the sort of overarching controlling authority in the world is the WHO. Yeah. The WHO says jump, people jump. Yeah. But it's only when you start investigating how these bodies are formed, how they're funded, who, who is sitting on their, yeah. their boards of influence, if you like, that you realise what's going on. Yeah. And over the years, I've looked at all of these sorts of um, international bodies. It doesn't matter if it's the CDC in America or if it's... Yeah. If it's the Is WHO that the Centre for Disease Creation? <laughs> it should be, shouldn't it? Yeah. But um, you, the UN, the World Bank, the Bank for International Service, all of these global entities, yes. they're all infested with vested interest. Mm -hmm. And in the health world, you've got this revolving door of people going into the pharmaceutical world. So they start off maybe as a doctor and then they'll mm -hmm. end up going into the pharmaceutical world. Yeah. And then they'll come from the pharmaceutical world into these organizations like the CDC or the WHO. Yeah. And then they'll do their bit there. Then they'll go back into medicine and hold yeah. some other higher. And so you've got this never ending circuit of, of people who are in the same box preaching the same mantra. Mm -hmm. Yep. And there's there's no way of introducing any independent thought mm -hmm. into their decision-making processes. It's impossible to do that. Yeah. And I I contacted you with a with a thing I wrote to the, the vaccine sort of committee that the government uses. The yeah, joint. Which, which, by the way, I haven't read yet. I'm sorry. It's been hectic this morning. Well, do read it because you'll oh, see well, in I there, definitely will, yeah. I, I, talk, I talk about the notion of independence mm -hmm. and I make the point it, it was it was like um they were going to change the rules on on the human medicine regulation mm -hmm. they were going to change them so that they could roll the vaccines out sooner so they're having a consultation mm -hmm. period it was only about a week actually where the public could make any comment I just that's not very to... long is it <laughs> right. it was oh you can comment if you want oh you can't shut shut the gate now yeah um, but I did manage to catch it luckily and I wrote a, a letter to the, the committee mm -hmm. and they were, they were sort of reporting that they were independent. This is an independent body about to make a decision that was going to advise the government on whether they should or should not change the regulations on human medicines mm -hmm. just for the COVID-19 vaccines. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, are you independent? <laughs> and I looked, at, I looked at who was on the, the, the list yeah. and the, there's nobody there yeah. who is independent of the narrative this is yeah. the problem they might be independent of control from above or something yeah they're independent in that sense yeah but they're not independent thinkers yes and, and this is a real issue to me mm -hmm. i said if you went through that committee how many of those people would you describe as pro-vax mm -hmm. versus how many of them would you describe as people who might have some reservations about vaccinations in general mm -hmm. and you'd get none in the latter category it's yeah. not going to give you a very balanced view is it no, you're bound to get a view that is constrained. So their premise to start with is that all vaccinations are good. Mm -hmm. Therefore, we're going to have a vaccination. 
-hmm. And that's their starting premise. There's nobody in that group that's going to say, actually, do we need a vaccine for this? Well, I think it, I think it goes even deeper than that, doesn't it? Because if you look at legalese, where they use different words that resemble English words, but they mean something else, like a summons is is an invitation and must means may. Yeah. The very idea that they're calling some of these new products vaccines is a labelling issue because it's clearly not. It's something else. It's a bit like calling a bus a car. Yeah, they're both transport, but they're very different things. Yeah. Well, you get the nuances of. I mean, the Pfizer type vaccine is an mRNA vaccine, which is really a it's a, it's, a, it's a genetic modifying type vaccine. Yeah. It's not a vaccine as we, no. as most people would recognise it. No. But if you hide and, it behind that label, what people do is they say, "I believe it's this," so they just go along with it without without asking any further questions, or they're resistant to questions. Go, so no, it's just this, and it's not. Yeah. And I, I, I looked at Gavi, which is the sort of vaccine initiative, the Global Vaccine Initiative. Yeah. And I, I was absolutely shocked to find there was about 182 or something vaccines being developed for this one condition wow. this sars of 2 182 vaccines Jeez. and and i think there's something like 13 of them have been approved already so you've got this massive throughput it's, it's like a game it's like a race and it's a race for profit mm-hmm. it's not a race to make us healthy no it's I... a race to make the most money yeah in the shortest period of time yeah and my argument to the the joint committee on vaccines and immunization was i don't think you're even considering the possibility that we don't need a vaccine mm-hmm. that the, the human immune system if 99.9 percent of people are getting better from this illness whatever it is mm-hmm. why would you need a vaccine you don't need one yeah why would you take the risk of developing something in short order mm-hmm. and then rolling it out without doing the long-term trials mm-hmm. And this, you can apply this, not doesn't have to be to this current situation. Mm-hmm. What person in their right mind would take an experimental drug and then roll it out across the population, not knowing the longer-term effects that it could have? Mm-hmm. They're unknown until you've done that trial. Yeah. And what we're seeing now, effectively, is an extended phase three trial mm-hmm. for an experimental-type vaccine, yep. which we've got no long-term data on, and that is just nonsensical. No, that's Forget right. Forget pro-vax, anti-vax, it's just a nonsensical concept to me yeah. as, a, as an engineer, as a practical person. Yeah. Yeah. I would never do that with any drug. No, well, it's not scientific. No, it's nonsensical. But it's, because, re- it's religious in its fervour. Yes, it's, but, uh, but I can't see why other people can't see the stupidity in what we're doing. Yeah. Why can't they look at themselves and go, actually, this is not a very good idea. What happens if everybody dies after three years of injecting with stuff? Yep. That's... We don't know if that's going to happen until we've tried it out. Yeah. And it's all very well saying, oh, yeah, they've been tested. They're, they're perfectly safe. Well, that's just nonsense. Yeah. You cannot make that statement without the data. That's and they right. haven't got the data. And they won't have the data for several years. No. And who knows? And we've seen it before. And that we've, we've got historical, you know, we've seen it with other drugs mm-hmm. where they've said, oh, yeah, this is all right. And then a few years down the line, people have been, you know, seriously affected. Yeah, my, when, I, when my mother was pregnant with me, she took an experimental drug a few times, which gave me some developmental issues. It was called thalidomide. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, I was going to. That, that was the one I was thinking about. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's a classic example of what we're going through now. Yeah, uh, we could well see something like that. We might not, but we well, don't know until we've given it time. That's right. I, I suspect if we are going to see something, we'll see a lot of it because so many are being uh, 
and, and it is, it's an experiment. So, so many are being experimented on. Indeed, if you go on their websites, you will look that the trials are slated to run for several more years. So, you know, we are the trial, effectively. Well, you and I yes. aren't, but the, the people are being trialed. Yes, a real, real life phase three trial. Yeah. And most of the people who roll their sleeves up, they have got no concept that they are in a trial. Yeah. They think it's a safe because somebody stood up in front of them on the television and said, oh, it's safe, perfectly safe. Yeah. CDC says it's safe. Safe says it's safe, or whatever it is. It, 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 it's not. And yeah. they really need to be aware of that. And again, I don't, I don't mind if people want to do that to their bodies. Absolutely, their choice. But they need to do it in an informed way. And that's why I get upset. Because they're not informed, yeah. they think they are. Because but their only information is coming from these yeah. fixed narratives, and all of these narratives are infested with cognitive dissonance, yeah. groupthink, confirmation bias. These things that are really detrimental. Yeah. To, well, to discovery and knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, and until we break this, this and the whole of society is in a cognitive dissonance at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, and it's being reinforced because nearly everybody they speak to or look at, or all the information is reinforcing what yeah. they believe is the truth. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, the people that walk around wearing the mask, doing the social distancing, they are all complicit and compliant in it and reinforcing. Like in our little town I live in, driving home the other night, I noticed a new COVID-19 test centre sign had been put up, and I'm thinking, it's a small town, what the fuck's this? So I drove down into town and sure enough, they've taken over one of the car parks as a COVID testing station, which in people's minds is reinforcing that we have a problem. Yeah. Well, that's that's what a lot of this is about, is yeah. reinforcing something that yeah. isn't, isn't there. Yeah. That's what the mask thing is all about. There's nobody can convince me that the masks, having read all the studies, yes. there was never any data yeah. that justified the actions because... If you think about it, when, when we had the peak of the problems in this country, it was in April. Yeah. Well, we weren't wearing masks in March, April, May. We weren't wearing masks until July. That's right. When the horses well and true. So if they did work, the data would have been available in March. We would have been all wearing them yeah. from March without any question because the yeah. data said that that's the right thing to do. Yeah. But we, we the science isn't there. And if people think that the science suddenly appeared between May and July yeah. to, to justify this, they're, they're just not thinking straight. No. Because we've been trying to work out the efficacy of masks since the year dot. Yeah. We've still not managed to do it. No. And yet people are prepared to think, oh, yeah, well, now we'll, we need to wear masks. Well, that's not stupid. Yeah. So then you should question, actually, if it's not for, for a health reason, why are we masks? Why are yeah. we wearing masks? Yeah. And then you start to think, oh, actually, it, yeah, it gives the impression that the thing is still there. We that's need right. to be frightening. Yeah, it is reinforcement. It, it, yeah, it's an impression of abnormality. Yeah. And and then it became obvious that they were just using the mask to tide us over to the next natural bout of illness mm -hmm. that will appear. So then you do get real people being really ill, and then you can blame it on this thing again, and then you can perpetuate this nonsense about masks. Yeah. And then you get these clowns from Public Health England coming on, saying, oh, we will probably have masks for the rest of our lives. Yeah. This is just complete and utter bullshit. It is. I, I, and I yet these, <clears throat> Sorry, so these are the people. Go These on. are the people who are, who are wielding all the power and people are listening to and are being reported well, on they, the mainstream. They're just the marketing department. Yeah, it is a marketing department, but yeah. they, these people really believe this stuff. Yep, absolutely. I, I got um, asked the other day that the guy said, you need a face covering. I said, well, do you have any particular face covering in mind that I need to have? And he said, well, any face covering will do. So I walked in, he said, where are you going? I said, well, I'm growing one. <laughs> Yeah, 
No, but you're right. It is. It, it's a marketing department of the people, and, and 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 the ones that are listening make no mistake. The PPE market on its own is worth fortunes. I know a guy who says he knows someone in I think it's Liverpool that landed the PPE contract, not just for Canada, but several other countries. And his commission alone, he's already made several billion in a year on commission, apparently. So there's there's going to be massive kickbacks. This is just a big marketing and commercial exercise, and that's all it's ever been. Yeah, it is. and um, But it's having such a detrimental impact on our Yeah. And, you know, when I see pictures of the children in school and stuff, all socially distanced and masked up, it breaks my heart. Yeah, mine too. And a lot of parents don't realise that the they can say no, and it's very difficult for the kids to say no within their peer groups and stuff. Yes. But if you know, if my kids were that age, they've grown up now. But if they were younger, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow that to happen to them. I just would not allow them to go to school in a mask. No, well, I wouldn't let them go to school at this point because I think the no. schools are too bloody dangerous. Yeah, yeah, we, we've lost our way a, a bit with um, with with the. I think the syllabus. You know, when when you start prescribing such a tight syllabus mm-hmm. in particularly in the scientific subjects mm-hmm. you really are brainwashing children to believe certain things are true that are not true yeah. and i i used to teach a lot of science and um i had to stop teaching climate as a subject mm-hmm. because my, people i was teaching were failing because they were they were not answering the question in accordance with the syllabus the syllabus said this is true and I was teaching them that well, actually, it's not that's not necessarily true. You need to think that mm-hmm. this could be an alternative truth. Mm-hmm. But of course, they get naught if they put that down. Mm-hmm. They have to comply, so take the information in and regurgitate it, mm-hmm. and then you pass. And, 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 and this this is it goes back to what I've, I've talked about recently as well. It's ridiculous because independent thought, critical thinking, where new knowledge should be discovered and come from, is actively not only discouraged but forbidden. Yeah, yeah, um, and this is why I don't really like the um, sort of curriculum approach. No. I think teachers can bring so much diversity from their own experiences yeah. to children, and they can teach them in different ways and different things from their experience, and that then gives the, the children a broader grasp of what might be possible or might be true, yeah. rather than prescribing through one system that this is the truth, you will believe it, and if you don't, you're going to fail. Yeah, um, it's the wrong way to to to. It's not education. It's yeah. brainwashing at the moment. It is, and we've lost the definition of education, which is broadening broadening our horizons and critically thinking and, mm-hmm. and investigating what we what we're passionate about and making things of it, and then driving our knowledge forward through mm-hmm. discovery. It's it's been taken away from us in many ways. Well, that, that's that's why the whole. I don't know if you've looked at any of the work by um, is it John Taylor Gatto. He, he talks about the state that education has got into as well, because it's, it's predominantly indoctrination and control. It takes a long time to indoctrinate a mind and stop it thinking. And and yeah. it's a real shame. And it, it, it does need to be changed because otherwise what you're doing is you're creating a completely dumbed down, stupid workforce that you can do as you wish with, as you wish with. And there's no real discoveries anymore because they are coming from the, they're getting belief systems installed that say, well, don't even look there because there's nothing there for you. But the real knowledge actually sits right there. Yeah, I think we're back to your inversion thing. Where yeah, we are, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that I seems mean, to I, be an overarching principle right now. Yeah, I mean, when I 
I did a lot of study of climate in the 90s. I did about seven years of study of climate science. I started out that journey with standard box. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And over the journey of seven years, I discovered that everything I thought was true about the climate is pretty much nonsensical. All right. Um, well, let's so head, let's head down that direction then. Climate <laughs> was a big topic. Well, let's but, give it an um, overview and we can make it into another topic another time if you want. Okay, well, obviously the the sort of standard paradigm is that the planet's getting considerably warmer and we're all going to struggle with sea levels and we've got to reduce carbon dioxide because that's the problem. And everybody knows the mainstream narrative because they can recite it back to me. Mm-hmm. But then I, asked, I asked very simple questions like, if you had the choice of living in the Mediterranean or in the Arctic, which would be probably the easiest environment to live on mm-hmm. and then extrapolate to that civilization. So humanity's biggest problem is that getting a bit warmer and accepting that we might lose a bit of the coastal lands because sea levels rise, but we'll gain a lot of other land because where it's covered in snow will melt versus what, how would you survive if the, the planet was a ball of ice? Mm-hmm. Because if it's a ball of ice and you've got problems with heat, you've got to keep warm. You need a massive amount of energy from somewhere to keep you warm. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to get this power from? Where are you going to grow the food? Yeah. What's going to happen to the animals and the vegetation? What's our survival chances in an Arctic scenario versus a warm scenario? Mm-hmm. And that question is never really addressed. We've got this massive panic about getting warmer, and yet getting colder is far more of a threat. And we don't think about that. Well, I think it's all. far more likely too. Yeah, well, at the, at the moment, again, the de- people think we're getting hotter, but we're not. Yeah. There is evidence, clear evidence, that we are getting colder year by year. Yeah. So the energy of the ball is getting less. Mm-hmm. And that the, the, the sort of misconceptions are driven by looking at specific points on the planet mm-hmm. and taking that to be the holistic planet. Mm-hmm. So they look at the northern hemisphere and say, oh, look, the ice is melting here. We must be getting warmer. Mm-hmm. All that tells you, actually, is that it's getting warmer in that particular part mm-hmm. of the globe. It, but it doesn't tell you anything about what's happening in, in other parts. So mm-hmm. other parts might be getting significantly cooler. And the average energy could still be less, even though you're witnessing yeah. ice melting in this one place. Mm-hmm. And this, this sort of concept of a global average temperature is one of the most nonsensical things I've ever seen in science. Because you only have to think about how do we measure, what is temperature and how do we measure it? And you go back a couple of hundred years, you say, well, then we had a couple of thermometers and we measured it here, here and here. And then over those intervening years, we've got sort of more and more thermometers mm-hmm. in more and more places. And then eventually we went up to the atmosphere and started measuring temperatures in the atmosphere. So we're starting to get more of the atmospheric energy. Mm-hmm. We've never really gone into the sea in any great details, but the, the sea is a massive thing of, yeah. of sorts of energy. And, and so all we've done is, is sort of change our way of measuring this parameter. Mm-hmm. And now we've got satellites, so we're getting even more data. But we, we try to compare light for light very often. And we think, well, because that thermometer in 1828 said it was 15 degrees and now it says it's 16 degrees, it's just nonsensical because you can never measure the global energy of the planet because mm-hmm. we haven't got enough sources of data. We don't go to the bottom of the sea and measure how much heat's down there. or mm-hmm. We just don't do that. We're getting more data on the atmosphere now, but, but even that's contradictory. Mm-hmm. And so... 
you can't say that the global atmosphere, that the global temperature is going up. That's just a nonsensical concept. But you could if it served an agenda, or you would if, if it served an agenda. If it served an agenda, that would be great. Now, I always strip this back and say, you know, what is the thing that drives the temperature of this globe? And it, it's so obviously the bloody sun. It's got to be the sun yeah. and cosmic rays. Those are the things that are driving the temperature mm -hmm. of this planet. Now, things like CO2. CO2 is a very important trace gas. And we've turned it into a demon, a bit like we've turned cholesterol into a demon in the human body. Mm -hmm. Completely. We're going to be shot on plants if we get rid of the CO2. Yeah, CO2 is absolutely essential. Yeah. And if you ask that question I was asking about the methane of people, I say, okay, you're going on about CO2. How much CO2 do you want there to be in the atmosphere? What is the optimum level of CO2 for our existence? And they don't know. They never ask themselves that question. So if you don't know where the optimum is, why are you trying to stop it getting bigger? Because we might be well short of the optimum, and I think we are. I think the optimum would be about 1,200 parts per million. With 1,200 parts per million, ask any greenhouse you know, main, main sort of grower of things in greenhouses, ask them what they do, and they pump CO2 in there to increase the yield. Mm -hmm. And ask them what the level is, and they say, oh, it's about 1,200 parts per minute. So that's a good optimum level for growing food. And we've got these millions of people dying of starvation on the planet. Mm -hmm. We could grow far more food, distribute it better, and solve a massive problem in society mm. if CO2 went up a little bit more. Goodness, it sounds like another inversion. Yeah, <laughs> funny old thing it does. <laughs> and so we've got this inverted view of yeah. carbon dioxide which yeah. is actually quite low in historical terms yeah. from what it, it and, and 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 yet all of our efforts are designed at demonizing the gas itself yeah. conflating it with things like particulate carbon or pollution or yeah. resource management they conflate the whole lot together well yeah because then they hide the pollution that they're causing as the problem expecting everyone else to take responsibility for i mean we have a hand in it because we consume the things that they produce but when they hide it with a conflation like that, it becomes invisible, and that's one of the problems. Yeah, indeed. Now, you're getting a bit of that feedback, by the way, that we had last time. I don't know if you... Uh... Right. If we, um, if we stop the call and start it again, that's probably the best way to fix that. You know, so, well, the, the climate thing, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying CO2 isn't um, a greenhouse gas, and it, it just certainly does add to the, the warming effect on the planet. That's not yeah. an issue. But as far as I'm concerned, it's the other things, the more obvious things that drive the level of co2 through other mechanisms rather than the level of co2 driving the temperature that's yeah. the wrong way around and there are mechanisms on this planet that regulate co2 i'm thinking particularly of something like henry's law which applies at the sort of interface between a, a liquid and a, a gas mm -hmm. and the the exchange of the gases from the atmosphere to the liquid are determined by things like the partial pressure of that gas and the temperature of the atmosphere and the, and the liquid, etc. Mm -hmm. And so that mechanism is almost self-regulating the amount of CO2 mm -hmm. in, in some way. So if you get a massive release of CO2 from things melting or from us producing it or wherever, it doesn't matter, yeah. the partial pressure of that gas goes up, the pressure it exerts on the surface of the liquid goes up, and that affects the, the, the way that the gas either goes in or out of those substances and mm -hmm. the sea store co carbon dioxide they store it in various forms and then they release it uh, and that is determined by the energy mm -hmm. that's sensed in this system mm -hmm. and you, people can look up henry's law and see how all this works if they're interested in science but that's that sort of tells me that it doesn't really matter too much if we're 
adding a little bit of CO2 to the mix. Yeah. Because that system, that type of system, will will regulate in many ways yes. what we are doing. And the notion that we should be spending trillions of our dollars to try and prevent our, prevent this release of carbon dioxide, which is an essential gas, it's not yeah. a demon, is nonsense. We've got far better things that we could be spending all that effort and money on. But it's also well. another distraction, Tony, and it's also another way of keeping people in fear. Yeah, I mean, it, it has driven an awful lot of fear. And, it, and if you look at the way it's driven the behaviour of our, particularly our younger generation, yeah, they're so... And it, it's so saddening, really, because they're very passionate, our children. Mm -hmm. And they're, they've been made to buy into this narrative. Yeah. Um, and it, it's distorting the, the, the reality of what's going on. And, and, and it's distorting the priorities. And they should be spending their energy of their love and their passion and their dreams. They should be spending them on other things. I mean, the, looking after our environment is a very, very worthwhile thing to do. Yes. But it's not about CO2 and us making it. It's about pollution yes it's about polluting our fields with toxins and going into our rivers and streams polluting our water polluting our air with other substances that are toxic to us yes. not that are essential trace gases and about resource management we don't want to be wasteful there are certain limited resources and we should be yeah. protecting them so those things are important ecological issues to our well-being and the well-being of the planet and mother nature yeah but we've got completely distracted with this single focus on carbon dioxide, and that is not where the focus should be, Yeah, in my opinion. No, I, I agree. I think that was a, a very good summary of a very big subject. Yeah, it is, and it's a very complex subject as well. I mean, I'm not pretending to be a climate scientist by any means. I'm just, again, I'm like an engineer with a very global overview of what is going on, mm -hmm. and none of it makes any sense if you look at it that way. No. It's very easy to get into the nitty-gritty, and these are very clever scientists doing some very good work and all the data they collect is useful data mm -hmm. and it's useful science but it's a bit like the body being a very complex system and we're just looking at a couple of parts of it and it's the same with the climate we look at we look at it in isolation these things yeah and we don't ever step back and look at the actually is this the right global overview that we should have of this problem that's right well it, it's it's just a, it's a mirror image to me of what happens in the medicine at medicine world that you have a fault in your body, let's say in your upper arm, and you become your upper arm, and that's all they treat is your upper arm. They don't look at its relationship to everything else, and you know, is something else actually affecting that? And they're doing exactly yeah. the same with climate because it, it it struck me a while back with the whole education process that the more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The more specific, the more focused, the more detailed the study gets into one little tiny crevice of information and knowledge you lose sight then of the big picture and we need more generalist, more general knowledge to actually see how everything is affecting everything else. So that you said before in, in the previous chat that um, X might not affect Z, but Y might affect Z, but they go and change Y and it's actually yeah. X that's the causing the problem. And I think that happens a lot here is you, you, they get so shoehorned into something that they're not able to see how this is affecting everything else. And they become, well, no, it doesn't affect everything. Yes, it does. Everything's affecting everything. Yeah. And, You've got the same governance problem as well in that world of climate. You've got the intergovernmental panel on climate change, which is it's just the same as the WHO in, in the health field. It, yeah. It's just a revolving door. And the people on that panel are so bought into the CO2 narrative mm -hmm. that they can't see 
that that is not what they should be basing all their decisions around. Yeah. They lose sight of the, and it's the same problem we've got in climate as we've got in health and economics as well. It's all of these key areas, we're, we're suffering by the bias that's intrinsically part of the governing bodies of those subjects. And I, I'm starting to wonder how we break this down. I mean, my, my own way is to, is to just say no say that's not right and make a stand mm -hmm. so i just say no i'm not wearing a mask because there's no science to justify that no i'm not social distancing because there's no science to justify that mm -hmm. no i'm not having a vaccination because my immune system is perfectly healthy yeah. i don't need a vaccination for this particular disease yeah and it, but this is it's just me and i just feel very much in isolation and there are there's a, an envelope of people that sort of know that i'm speaking a lot of sense but mm -hmm. they won't go as far as making a stand mm -hmm. they'll still wear the mask even though they know that it's not doing them any good mm -hmm. and i keep trying to get through to them that it's because you keep acquiescing that's right that we're not moving forward if you did exactly what i did it would all stop tomorrow absolutely yeah. no and we'd go back to complete normality yeah it's only because you're thinking oh it doesn't make any difference if i wear a mask it does that's right. It's an enormous, it, it, every, everything that people comply with makes a difference. And that's why this thing is gathering so much speed and momentum even now is because people simply go along with it. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you see any, anything that's going to turn it around in the immediate future? Or? I, I, I still think it will, um, it will turn around because I think, but I suspect it's going to have to take a lot of people getting very poorly with the vaccines and very sick and possibly dying for people to suddenly start because the, the, they, they seem to have got stuck at a point where they're not paying attention. You've talked about this. They're not paying attention to their senses. They're not paying attention to, in fact, what it wasn't you, it was um, Stuart in that email I read out, that you've got all this feedback that you're getting with your eyes, with your ears, with your mind, and yet people are ignoring it because they've been so highly programmed to ignore it. You know, so yeah. every, everything that anyone dies of is a, is a, a COVID-19 death, as an example, and there's no autopsies being done. But when people start dying immediately after having a vaccine and having spontaneous abortions and that kind of things, oh, that's nothing to do with that. That's perfectly normal. And it, there's, there's this really weird break where people's brains are switched off. And that's the bit I'm trying to work out is how do we get that thing turned on again so they will think? Because as soon as they're thinking for themselves, everything should get back to normal, I hope, because they'll start to ask questions and go, what? That doesn't make any sense. But right now they just buy it. Yeah. I think we just come further down that path than I thought we would before people started to go through that mental process. Yes. Yeah. Because they are in the book. I think, you know, I think people, a lot of people suffer with being in this box of what can be true, what can be possible. Yes. And it's constrained and they don't appreciate that outside of the box, there is another reality going on. And I think things like the vaccine may be the thing that will intrude into that box and and get them to think hang on a minute this is not quite adding up anymore yes and it, there's no way i can shoehorn this into my my, my box of reality it yeah. doesn't make any sense within this box yeah. therefore i can't dismiss this anymore i've been dismissing everything else and making excuses for everything else yes and i think there'll be more and more of, of this and i think there'll be economic pressures as well i mean uh, economics is a huge subject but if if people realized how their currency is being printed to oblivion yeah. as we speak. Yeah. There's been, I think, if you look at the whole production of dollars yes. ever, yeah. 40% have been printed in the last 12 months. The <laughs> I didn't realize it was that, that much. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. If you yeah. look at the graph, 
Yeah. It's an insane graph. It's a vertical graph now. Jesus. And people don't really grasp the, the implications of the economics of that yeah. action. Yeah. And that's going to come, that's going to be something else that I think will very shortly be impinging on their reality. Yeah. And think, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, what, you, you can't, surely can't print all that much current. What's yeah. the implications of printing currency? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, well, all right. This is what I explained to someone the other day. I said, here's a pencil, and that's worth a pound. And if now we have 10 million pencils, that pencil is technically worth one ten millionth, isn't it? He said, no, we've got 10 million pounds. And I went, no, that's what they want you to think. That's not what's going on. <laughs> well, you know, we've got all these um, in America, we've got these sort of helicopter payments come, coming down, haven't we? They're, yeah. they're giving everybody a, a handout of dollars. Yeah. But all of, the, all of the stuff they're printing, apart from that type of money, is going straight into the sort of, the, the debt is going into yeah. to bonds. It's going into the Amazons of this world. It's not really finding its way to the people. No. Um, but the, the 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 currency that people do have hold of, yeah. If they're trying to save it now, yeah. Because interest rates are zero, or going negative. There's no point in saving it, so they're going to spend it. Yeah. So what they have got, they will start to spend, and that will cause a massive flood of of currency coming into the system and that will drive inflation I mean, inflation is already probably double digits yeah. it's just hidden in the the consumer price indices that, that use around the world because yeah. they're they're linked to the pay rises that, that, that that's right employees yeah. Get. Yeah. so they want to keep them at face value as low as they can so they say oh the, yeah cpi is only one percent well that's nonsense the real inflation is double yeah. digits now yeah and people only realize this very shortly when they try and buy something else that's not in the basket of goods, you know. Yeah. But I've noticed that fuel prices have been creeping up very quickly recently again. Yeah. Despite oil being very, very low, as an example. Yeah. Uh, I've been spending a lot of time recently one-to-one -one with people explaining the um, the concept of storing your wealth because our wealth, our wealth is generated through our, our endeavour, yes. through our physical work, through our mental ability to create yes all of this stuff is what creates our wealth yes and people think of the wealth as, as the currency but that's not true the currency doesn't store their wealth no their wealth is stored in other things like the creation of a painting or yeah. in a gold and silver and things like this these are stores of value yeah. currency is just a belief system anyway yeah but the but the currency yeah. is not where their wealth is stored nope. because that very shortly, we were worthless. Yeah. So it's no point in having hundred thousand pounds in the bank or hundred thousand dollars in the bank, because if that suddenly becomes only able to buy a loaf of bread with me, it's worthless. Yeah. So you need to think about how am I going to store all of this wealth that I've generated through my effort, mm -hmm. and not just see it disappear because the governments of the world are printing this stuff that I've got it in at the moment. Yeah. Out of existence. Yeah. And the, the governments know they're doing this. Yeah, it's intentional. And this is all part, it's part of this great reset. This is the economic great reset. Yes. Where suddenly our currencies will be worthless. Yep. And we'll have to shift to a completely new yep. economic paradigm to, for things, things to work. What, what's and, very interesting, Tony, is if you take a few steps back, the very people that are intentionally destroying the game are the people that everyone else is looking to to come up with a working solution. It's like, well, hang on a second. They just buggered everything up, and now you want to give them the responsibility to fix it. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, that, that, 
So it's always baffled me. Yeah. And so I've, I've robbed yeah. you, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna rob you again. But you'll really enjoy it this time because you won't see it coming. One of my one of the things I I always say that people who want power to control other people yeah. should never have the power to control people. Yeah. You want people in authority in those sorts of positions that really had to be pushed to do the job. Yeah. Because then you know that they don't actually want to be controllers of other human beings. Yes. And they've got a genuine interest in the welfare of other people that are making decisions on behalf of them. Yeah. Where at the moment, the people who get into these key positions yeah. are the ones that are scrambling up. They do anything they can to get to the top of this tree because they want that control. Matt now Hancock. The, <laughs> well, mentioning no names, but the, <laughs> the these people, and you know, and the whole system is is corrupted. It's, yes. it's it goes for the boys. I mean, if you if you look at the House of Lords or that, or the House of Parliament or the Senate, you'll find that all of these people go through the same yeah. schooling system. I don't know how many people in our political system have been to Eton, Harrow, Oxford, Cambridge, but it'd be a vast percentage of them mm -hmm. will have gone to these half a dozen institutions. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're where they are. Yeah. It's not a random distribution of people from all these sort of different universities yeah. and different random comprehensives around it just doesn't happen like that no. and so you know the whole system is rigged yeah. to get certain people into certain positions and the ones that get to the very top almost invariably have had to sell their soul at some point yeah and that's what's being used that, against them yeah because they won't get to that position unless they agree to do certain things yeah that's the way it's, it's same it's the same in the military you have to go through a certain procedure to get to the higher ranks yeah. in the military, you couldn't just be yourself and get the. That just doesn't happen. Yeah, you have to conform to what, so that when somebody says jump or do this or say this, that you will sort of comply. Yeah, well, you'll and just. It, it won't be why do I do that? The, the question will only be how high do you want me to jump? Yeah, exactly, and th that, that's why we have a lot of the problems that we've got. It's because there aren't just ordinary people like you and me in, in these positions where decisions are being made. Mm -hmm. um, we we don't have an agenda and that's why we talk like this mm -hmm. but if we were in those positions we would probably have changed to be there yeah. and we wouldn't we wouldn't be speaking like this we would be towing the party line or doing what the government says do yeah well i don't think people realize we are such a product of our environment that you you respond to that environment it's very rare to find someone who doesn't because you can't exist in that environment because it's so toxic otherwise yeah yeah that's that's very true and um yeah I, I i don't know what i don't know what the answer is really to to break the system down maybe it will just break down of its own accord very shortly and, and then we'll just start again but i think we're going to have a very turbulent transition period yeah where we see a lot of uh, pain and suffering and uh, you know because i think the obviously the economic agenda is to drive more and more people onto universal basic income yeah in a digital form so I think that's why we've seen so many businesses being intentionally driven out of business. It's yeah. so that more people will become dependent on the state. Yeah. As soon as the state give you your the money to, to put food on the table for your family and yeah. then they say, well, you can have that as long as you do X, Y, and Z. That's right. And one of those X, Ys, and Zs will be have the vaccine. Don't go on this march. Don't, don't protest against this. Comply with this regulation. Yeah. There, there will become constraints on your ability to function as a family because... You rely on income from this third party. That's right. No, that, that's exactly where it's being taken. I think so, and I think the move to a digital regime rather than a physical currency 
that puts a huge advantage in the hands of those who control your your digital wallet if you like yes because they've got they've got view then of everything that you do everything you spend how much is going in there whether you can spend it or not yeah they haven't got that measure of control and surveillance if you've got physical pound notes in yep. your pocket yeah as soon as it's all a digital thing then they've got the ultimate surveillance and control over you and that, i think that's where it's I, going that's the only idea i carry with me at all times <laughs> <laughs> problem comes when that is no longer acceptable currency and well i have come across a couple of places that are starting to say we don't take cash and yes and my only response so far has been well that's great thanks very much and they go what do you mean what are you going to pay with us no i've offered you legal tender i've got currency because it is legal tender right now and you've refused to accept it so i'm going to take what i've just taken as a gift and i really appreciate that i'll be back tomorrow for some more (laughs) and as i go to walk out then all of a sudden their payment terms seem to change (laughs) But eventually, yeah. that could be a problem. It, 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 I don't think people have really cottoned onto that, that issue. They think, oh, it's just natural, because they're so used to credit cards and stuff anyway. Yeah. But this so is what they do, is they, they do it gently. So now it's the pay by phone and then pay by the chip in your hand or whatever. You've seen, have you seen Amazon Palm, by the way? No, I haven't, actually. No. Yeah, they, they want to. you can use your palm to pay for things, apparently. I saw an advert on it the other day, and I was like, I feel sick. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that's no, right. No, no. People are taking slowly and slowly and slowly and slowly, and you don't realise you're being boiled alive. Yeah, and there's also going to be a, a wealth grab, a real wealth grab, yeah. as a trade-off for debt. Yeah. So if you've got a mortgage, for example, they're going to come to somebody who's just lost their business and they've got a mortgage and say, well, it's okay, don't worry about losing your business. We'll give you UBI, we'll give you some basic income. But in exchange, we're going to write off your mortgage, but we're going to have your your house our your house is now ours yeah. you can live in it but it's ours now yeah and so they they then grab the physical asset the wealth that you've stored in that asset yeah i think we'll see a lot of that going on if we don't turn things around very short. i think so too and one of the other things i was hearing about the other day where if they can't grab it that way they'll just push the property taxes so high you can't afford the house anymore yeah and you know people say oh you're just being conspiratorial and i say well no just go and read the wf's I, I, I said that to someone the other day. Yeah, I said, well, they wrote it, so they must be on the conspiracy then. That's right. Mr. Schwab's written it down in black and white. Go and read it if you don't believe what he, I'm saying. He just, he, not, he makes the world's best villain. In that um, Vulcan suit? Yes. Have you seen him? Yeah, that's yeah. a Vulcan. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, I was like that. Ooh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, all of this information is there for people to see. That's I mean, right. Just, just go to the WHO website and, and look at, who funds the WHO and you'll find what well, it used to be the USA was the main thing through yeah. the CDC until Trump got his, got his way. But now if you look at that list, you'll find the UK government is top of the list. Yeah. Bill and Melinda Gates foundation is second on the list. The Chinese yeah. equivalent, the CDC is the third on the list. And it's very then easy to see where the, the yeah. leverage is coming from yes. and why our country is a, is a prime example of buying into the narrative It's because yeah. we, you know, we're part of the funding system for the people telling us to do what we're doing. Yes. And then you say, well, who's our rep at the WHO on this committee? And you'll, it'll be Chris Whitty or somebody, or, you know, it'd be one of those characters. Yeah. And then it's just as, yeah, that's why it's as it is. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that difficult for people to discover this stuff. They just go and just poke around a little bit yeah. and then start joining the dots. Yeah. And go, oh, look, it's a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> There are so many dots you don't realize until you 
I've yeah. been sort of doing this type of research for about 30 years. So I've got lots of dots that I've managed to join up. Yeah, I've been on it for about 20. And I was saying to someone the other day that it's I've got maps and drawings and sketches just to make sense of it because it's so interwoven. It's and it, it to me it's I don't like to say it's genius, but it is genius in the way they've done it, even though it's very you know, I think it's completely wrong, but it's amazing how it's been put together and at so many levels. And, and the level yeah. of influence it has and the level of compliance it generates. But I, I believe what you said before about the boxes, where it's starting to intrude in that reality space around people right now, that they are pushing so many things so hard that even people that I know that were very much, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. They're starting to say, something's wrong. The stuff you were talking about, run that, th run that by me again. And I hear that more these days. So people are starting to feel that it, it's the, the, there's dissonance in their dissonance, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah and i think obviously the um the way that the it's going to pan out very shortly is they're going to start coming up with oh well the vaccines don't work the ones we give you don't quite work so you're going to have to have another one yeah and we just happen to have another one that's been modified by our scientists at oxford or yeah. johns hopkins or something they'll come up with a modified version for this variant yeah and then it'll be you'll need you'll need the vaccines updated every so many months. But one would hope they actually identify the thing in the first place so that we're actually looking at variants rather than just saying things. Yeah, that does that does really annoy me. And I, I wish more of our virologists, epidemiologists would actually step up. There are a few. There's some yeah. good guys out there who are stepping up and saying that this is nonsense. Because yeah. anybody who works in that field knows that that these viruses, they, they just mutate naturally. And, and there's hundreds of thousands of variants, probably almost instantaneously as they sort of get into the systems. And to pick out a half a dozen random ones and give them names, sexy names, the Brazilian variant, the New York variant, it, it's just nonsensical bullshit. Yeah. It, it, nothing short of that. Yeah, it's and then you make up this narrative around these named things. Yeah. And they're the, the talk of the coffee shop. Yeah. If you could actually sit in the coffee shop, yeah. it would be, oh, you heard the latest New York variant in Swindon, you know. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> there are hundreds of thousands of variants of this thing, none of which is going to pose any more of a threat than the original thing. Yeah. And and yet, now this is the focus because it was on the news and that's what they talk about. Yeah, no, it, it's it's bizarre. Mate, that's been an hour and a half. Okay, yeah. And it might be a good time, good time, <laughs> it might be a good time <laughs> To, to maybe call this one to a close. I, I've really greatly enjoyed it, and I suspect there's going to be more to come because there's a lot of ground to cover over time. Yeah, there is. There's so many of these topics that uh, that are interesting to talk about. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to speak with you about them. So that would right. be great. And I hope, them, I hope the listeners and viewers get something out of this one and uh, something positive that they can use to go away and look at things for themselves or just question certain things that are happening to them and why. Yeah, well, I, I think so. And, I, I, you know, my, my advice always is question everything all the time. Ask questions, especially if at some level you're thinking this doesn't make a lot of sense. Dig into it and find out why and ask. Yeah. And I think you'll be surprised what you discover. Indeed. And the other key point is just don't listen to me and you. Don't, don't no. listen blindly to me and you because that's just as bad as listening to the BBC. Right. You need just to use things that I you say to just think, hang on a minute, I need to have a look at that. Yep. And then come to your own conclusion, do your own research and say, oh yeah, that's interesting. That is true what you said or yep. it's not true. And and that's how you find your own truth. Yeah. Uh, rather than just blindly believing A or B, just, just go away and find your own truth. Because it is it at the moment it's seriously affecting society and your individual well being, I would imagine. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. Brilliant. 
Thank you so much, mate. And uh, this one, I suspect, maybe a day or two before I get it edited, but I will get it up and then I'll send it across to you. All right, brilliant. Lovely to speak. You take care. Likewise. Take care of yourself, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.